Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by the new bestseller from TPS Publishing, 101 Places to Avoid Before You Die. Join us and discover why you should never consider going to places like Gary, Indiana, Stockton, California, Griffin, Georgia, and why you should avoid the entire state of Nebraska like the plague. This updated edition also includes a full-page layout demonstrating why you should not go to North Dakota in the winter or Tampa, Florida ever for any reason. Our newest masterwork also discusses why you should stay home instead of going to places like the DMV, the airport, the county fair, any buffet-style restaurant, or church on Wednesdays. 101 places to avoid before you die. Patent pending. One thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans in conjunction with MyBookie.ag. If you like to place a little bit of online wagers and get ready for the Super Bowl Sunday, MyBookie.ag is the place to go. They've got the best lines. They've got the best people. If you have any sort of questions, their customer service is second to none. MyBookie.ag, all the best lines, all the best prices. And they've even got a special offer. If you use our promo code BRAVES25, they're going to give you a 50% deposit match. So you put in $100, they'll throw an extra $50. Now you got $150 to play with. You get to show off. You get to have a little bit of fun. It makes the games matter a little bit more. If you don't like normal normal win-lose lines, you can bet over-unders. You can bet prop bets. They've got it all. Just go to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code BRAVES25. Last week, Doc and I were bemoaning about the fact that we didn't have a whole lot to talk about as far as, you know, the hot stove for the Braves. Well, that changed. And uh, pretty big way. We're going to get into this, and it's pretty much erupted Braves Twitter as any move really does. But we brought 
the number one source for Braves Twitter for anybody that has any questions about money, anybody that has any questions about Nate Marcakis, anybody that has any detailed front office question, we got the guy to talk to, and it is Boggy. Boggy, what's going on, man? Oh, I'm doing pretty great, guys. Thanks for having me back on the Lock Combination Podcast. I appreciate being back again. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait, is this... Oh, my bad, fellas. No, you're moving up in the world. (laughs) No, this is what we call getting an upgrade. You've graduated from AAA. Now you're in the pros. Uh, We're going to actually talk about that. You know, I'll I'll, I'll take it. I'll take take the pay pay bump, you know, graduating to the majors, get you a pay bump, get you the lifetime with the insurance and and all that stuff. So, hey, I'll I'll take that all day long. And the respect factor. (laughs) So, first off... Um, Marcakis gets signed to a one-year deal for $4 million with a $2 million buyout for next year, or it turns into a $6 million deal if the Braves pick up the option. So essentially, Braves are on the hook for $6 million. Before we get into whether or not we like the signing, best I can come up with, that leaves the Braves with right around 15 or $16 million. Am I on the money there? Uh, you're pretty much right on the money. I'd say 15 to 20 max. Um, the total I have calculated for him right now, if you round out the roster with um, with all the pre, uh, excuse me, all the arbitration guys and 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 pre-arb salaries with minor bumps is 110 million. So of course it all depends on the budget. Nobody knows what the budget is um, because uh, Anthopolis is so tight-lipped about it. But um, if you, I, I'm wagering opening day budget is probably anywhere from 125 to 130. So we're talking 15, 20 million still to spend. How much of that they're going to keep back in reserve as far as having some to play with at the deadline? Um. Tossing around 15 to 20 million as a potential for opening day kind of almost takes that into account. Um, I think that they could, I think they could potentially open the season at 1:30, and probably still have five to seven or potentially more uh, banked for in-season acquisitions. Um, they maxed out last year um, at uh, one. Sorry. I got my spreadsheet up, and I'm rolling down right here, the famous spreadsheet. They maxed out last year at 120, almost 124. That's including, of course, Adrian Gonzalez and uh, Scott Casimir, I believe, was on the books oh, there, yeah. too. Oh, lots yeah, of, lots of dead money, all the Scott, Scott Casimir's money. They ended the season at about $124 million. Um, so if payroll is going to increase, they can either increase on the front at, on opening day or it can increase midseason. Um you know, they they added uh, last trade deadline. They added seven and a half million dollars just just to the 2018 deadline. So if you use that as your number, that's probably what he's looking to set aside. So maybe you think, okay, maybe they only got about 15 million to spend the rest of this off season, which puts them at opening day 125, and maybe bump them slightly over 130 by the end of the year. Not I don't bad. know. It's all it's all just a big giant guess. The only thing, you know, <laughs> sometimes I'll see people ask, "Well, how much more money do we have to spend?" I was like, "I can't tell you what the budget is. I can only tell you what's on the books already." It, it yeah, is they've amazing. Been, they've been very tight-lipped about what the actual number is. I do kind of wonder whether or not they they actually have something and they're just not saying, or they're just kind of keeping their options open just in just in case they decide to make a special exception. Not for anybody in particular, but just in case in case they, something comes across the table where they can afford to get extra woolly with something and say, okay, fine, we'll do this. Right. right. And, 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 you know, I can't, I can't disagree with that strategy. 
um, you know, you don't want to be silly like the Phillies owner and come out and say, we're going to spend stupid money because then the agents and the, the free agents and their agents like Scott Boris are going to try to pull every cent out of them. Um, so if you, if they don't know that number up front, you know, the free agent, you know, there's more, more leverage for the, for, for the team to, to get a deal that works for the team. No doubt. No doubt about it. And Doc and I just talked about the arbitration numbers last week. And I promise, guys, we're going to get into the Nick Markakis thing in just a second. But first, was there? You are all over the arbitration figures every year. You're pretty much like my go-to source because I'm lost when it comes to money and things like that. And how to judge who's getting what? Did everybody hit right on about what you thought? Any shockers or surprise? Um, no, not really. Um, when I make my projections, uh, basically once. Once one season ends, I go ahead and make a – sometimes even before the season ends, I'll roll over and start trying to do a projected salary for the following season. Um, and I always fill in the arbitration players. I use MLB Trade Rumors numbers. Um, I know uh, COTS also has numbers, but uh, MLB Trade Rumors, whatever their system is, almost always comes out right on the money, um, especially for uh, a team like the Braves that doesn't have like these – gigantic superstars in arbitration that's you know could be demanding you know weird outlier types of money um they were within if you don't count johnny venters the um the arbitration estimates from mlb trade rumors were were within like twenty thousand dollars combined all seven of the other guys besides venters venters got a little bit extra um which which threw it off but even with his they were only off by like 0.7 million um, so that those I use their figures to to create my projections when I'm trying to, you know, estimate what a particular payroll might be, which of course is in turn how you figure out maybe how much money they have to spend. It's amazing how close they got. Honestly, that that they whatever they're doing over there, it's fantastic work. And uh, I, I'm yeah, I'll, I'll, I absolutely agree with that. I've I've tried to figure this out, but I can never figure it out. Like I'm not shocked that Mookie Betts is getting 20 million in his first arbitration, but. I don't know how they set aside where uh, certain performers actually get. Okay, well, you did X, 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 and X, so now you get twenty million. Oh, you missed an MVP. Now you're fifth instead of fourth, so now you get fifteen. I don't know how it works. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I'm sure they've got. They take lots of data. They they take into account um, all sorts of information, previous salaries, previous experience. You know, a guy a guy who's uh, MLB trade rumors. I'm pretty sure takes all this to into, into account. You, a, a guy might be arb one, but he's got you know three three years, a hundred days. They'll probably project him to get more than a guy who's only got three years and five days. Um, and and of course, position plays a role in it. Performance plays a role in it. They look at comparable performance over the past previous seasons to similar players at similar ages at similar uh, service times and things like that. It's Something crazy, and I don't try to calculate it myself. I don't even bother. I just use their numbers until the actual numbers come in. <laughs> well, if I, they're hitting it within twenty grand. I mean, there's there's no no need to take the time to calculate your own. You know? Exactly. Like, why do the work twice? 
I just got a headache trying to follow that entire train. All right. Now, (laughs) for all you listeners, I know you guys have been patient. We're going to get to it right now. So, obviously, the biggest news of the week and the biggest news for months of this offseason has been that the Braves just brought back Nick Marcakis. If you are on Twitter or on Facebook or on any sort of social media, you saw what can only be described as an Avengers Civil War scenario um, from just... (laughs) People who are going nuts with excitement and joy at having the joyless wonder come back. Um, And then other people who were not so excited and looked like they were going to burn their houses down. Um, You guys might have noticed what I was saying. I'm not. uh, I've mentioned this. If you guys were listening to 680 this morning on the front row, you guys heard my take on it. Um, I'll mention mine in a second. But let's get your opinions from the both of y'all because i'm assuming y'all's are going to be different than mine go ahead buggy okay um it's so 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 uh we've all wanted a move okay i've wanted a move my my spreadsheet when i open up it like you know moths fly out of it because i haven't been able to update it for for six weeks okay so i've just kind of been bored with it being the same numbers and the same everything for a while we've all been bored with with nothing to do so i've been hoping and praying for for a a move that for the braves to make ever since you know i knew i was going to come on your show i wanted to have something to talk about other than the fact that there's nothing to talk about um so we finally got that move and i'm glad we got that move just not necessarily the move that I really wanted, but I'm not unhappy with it. I guess like it's not. It's a one-year deal. He's a really good player. He's really well respected. He's going to be productive. But they could have gone and gotten someone more productive. <laughs> and then and then and with a follow-up, but they still can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, I mean, that's, that's the thing that I think that everybody is kind of taking, taking a look at to say, okay, first this and, and now what, because you know, the, the buzzword has been financial flexibility. The buzzword has been, you know, we're going to, we're going to make some moves. We, we've got a bunch of moves on our mind. And then so far, you know, this, this is, like you said, this is the move that we've been waiting for, for six weeks or eight weeks or however long. And, when you start looking the the way that the free agent outfielders this offseason were were kind of tiered, you've got Bryce and then you've got like that McCutcheon, Brantley, and Marcakis in the back end of tier two. You know, and then when you start looking into Carlos Gonzalez and Adam Jones and Gerardo Parra, you know, there there's not really a whole lot to write home about in that category. So I think that for this move kind of can't really be viewed in a, in a vacuum in any sense, because if you're, if you're looking at it in terms that you have to look at it in terms of what this does for the, for the payroll to fill out that extra said 15, $20 million that the, that there is left over. And for the value of the actual deal, Andrew McCutcheon getting $50 million or Michael Brantley getting $32 million, they're getting 16 million annual value. And then Marquez is four million. I mean, the difference in production isn't going to be twelve million dollars a year worth. Certainly not. And if I had told you guys, that, and I, I know that Silver Slugger and Gold Glove and All Star. I mean, these these are just basically um, 
they're fake. I mean, they're awards, but they're, they're, they don't mean nearly as much as the actual production. But if I had told you that the Braves were going to get an all-star gold glove silver slugger for $4 million to fill the outfield slot, if you remove Nick Marquez's name off that, you would say, you know what, that sounds pretty good to me. So I don't know. I don't hate it. But now I'm waiting for the other shoe or multiple shoes to drop on the back end of this move. And that's the thing to me. That that right there is why I wasn't a big fan of this move. Now, you guys know my thing. I don't think there's any such thing as a bad one-year deal. The money is great. Documenting the value. My problem with that is, is if we're talking about a team that's trying to compete to go to a World Series, we're talking about value relative to contract. That's not what I'm looking to see right now. You talk about Mark Hakus and what he brings, and he's not the first half of what he was last year. He's probably not the second half of what he was last year either. He's probably somewhere in the middle, which is going to be somewhere to war, maybe somewhere right around there. He's going to do what he does. He's a good presence in the locker room. The teammates love him, blah, 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 but they do with McCann, and that was kind of the whole point of bringing in McCann. My problem on this, in a vacuum, I think you're right, Doc. In a vacuum, and if you had told me before you said anything else about the offseason, we're going to bring in Nick Markakis back on a $4 million contract, I think people would be okay. The problem is, is you went up and you told everybody we can shop on any aisle that we want. We there is nothing out of our price range. It's like if you get all excited, you think that your dad's or your parents are going to go and get you uh, cinnamon toast crunch, and they come home with a bag full of cinnamon, was it cinnamon swirls from the Walmart brand, and you're like, you look like what 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 is this? And well, it was it was only three dollars for two pounds of it. The value's better. It's like yeah, but it's 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 not cinnamon toast crunch. <laughs> uh, last week we had Mish comping the Baltimore Orioles to Sesame Street, and now we have Nick Markakis as a cinnamon swirl. So, <laughs> um, I want to I want to make a, a counter, uh, somewhat of a counter argument to that. that uh, yes, they came out in the offseason saying that they can shop in any aisle. Okay, I don't remember exactly when those comments were made. All right, were they made before the Josh Donaldson signing, or were they made after the Josh Donaldson signing? Because if they were made before the Josh Donaldson signing, then they they might have been shopping down that premium mile. All right, they were probably shopping down the cinnamon toast crunch aisle. Hell, they were probably shopping down, you know, the filet mignon aisle that might have been a little bit bruised when they when they signed Josh Donaldson. Coming off of after that, they might have had to move down to a different aisle. Okay, they signed that guy Josh Donaldson, twenty three million dollars, the highest average annual value on a one year contract in Major League Baseball history. And and so and then they shopped down that super high expensive aisle that they said that they could shop down. It just wasn't the guy that all the fans immediately jumped to. It was like, oh, we can shop down any aisle, so they're gonna go after Harper or or, or Corbin or, or, or whatever. Okay, they went after a guy who 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 put up the second most total war among all players from twenty twelve to twenty sixteen behind the only behind only Mike Trout. Okay, and and you know this guy gives you three potential MVPs on your team, so yeah, they they, they shopped down that that any aisle, but a mid market team like the Braves can't shop down that aisle all off season long. They and that to me was shop a... down that aisle and get that one premium item, and then they got to try to figure out how they're going to fill out the rest of their menu, the rest of their 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 dinner plate for the rest of the week or whatever you know. Off, off of the, off the rest of the aisles. That's what, that's, that's the way I try to look at it. That's the problem. Is they said the shopping down any aisle before Donaldson. So, so naturally, all right, cool. There's our big signing. 
The problem is after that, then they said, "Oh, we still have plenty of money. We're not done. We're not. We're going to target some more. We we got plenty more coming." They start rolling out that we're going to roll out with a higher payroll than last year. We're really going to go for it. So that's why I don't want you to make those statements. Period, because that brings a level of expectation that. Frankly, that's one of the reasons why this move looks so disappointing. Is you've waited all offseason, you've still got Harper out there. You see Michael Brantley sign for what was a, a cheaper deal than Spot Rack had him for. You see Andrew McCutcheon sign, which I thought was a little bit more than he was probably worth. But as far as Spot Track goes, it was pretty much right on the money. You see Yasiel Puig get traded for essentially nothing. There, you see more stuff happening around you. You see everybody else in the NLE start adding a ton of talent aside from the Marlins, who we all know are tanking. And the Braves are just kind of sitting by, sitting by, sitting by. And then all of a sudden, boom, you add a $4 million player. And like Doc said, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. That's why in a vacuum, it's a disappointing move. Now, if they go out and they add in and they bring somebody else in, let's say. Let's say they bring in a a top-of-the-rotation guy. Whoever you think that is. I don't think it's Keuchel, but whatever. If you think it's Keuchel and they bring in Keuchel, whatever. Then it's a different outlook because you can view the two trades together. But until you have that second shoe that drops, you only have one trade to look at. That's why I don't think it's a bad move because it's one year. it's, It's great money. It's just disappointing. The timing of it all is weird. You know, having having three free agent signings, two of which were announced within about 35 minutes of each other, and then waiting, you know, two months to have to have the next one. If it had been spaced differently, if Marcakis had been brought back first, and then McCann, and then Donaldson, all of, you know, all a month apart from each other, then it would seem different. Um, I Look, I, I wish more than anything, I didn't understand why people are so mad about this, but I do. I, I totally understand. And God knows I've been stumping for Bryce Harper since last January. Um, but we were, we were really riding this food analogy thing, whether it's bruised filet mignon or, or <laughs> cinnamon swirls or whatever. So I got one for you guys too. If I tell you I'm inviting both of you guys over to, to my house for dinner and I tell you dinner's going to be ready at seven 30, show up whenever you want. But we are eating at 7.30 on the nose, not a second before, not a second after. And then if you come in the kitchen at 7.15 and you start taking stuff out of the oven and you're like tasting the potatoes or tasting the broccoli and you're just like, dude, this sucks. What what is this? And I'm just like, remember how I told you we were going to eat at 7.30? You're jumping the gun. It's not my fault because you got impatient. Now, I'm not saying that you necessarily being impatient here. But dinner's not on the table yet. Opening day still isn't for 65-ish days. So there's still plenty of time, whether it's Real Muto or Jock Peterson or Corey Kluber or whatever winds up happening. There's still plenty of time to make these moves. And I think, Boggy, this had to be one that you tweeted from the Nakahoma account that 16% of the 25-man roster last season was added in February or in March? It was after Valentine's Day. After Valentine's Day. I mean, that's so that's still another three weeks from now. So the way that the market is moving, I mean, there there are still teams out there that that it, we look like the roadrunner compared to, you know, or right. it's it's amazing how how slow it's still moving. And and we can save the, the conversation about the, the pace of free agency for another episode or, you know, the eight episodes we talked about it before this one. But I think there is a. There's still more coming, and Anthopolis has gotten older. He has gotten wiser, but I still think that he wants to make that gunslinger-type move where he comes out and it's everybody saying, holy crap, in a really good way, as opposed to yesterday when we were just saying, oh, holy crap. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll agree with that. I mean, something else to keep in mind on the on the along the lines of uh, you know the four guys the Braves added after Valentine's Day last year. I mean, they weren't the big names. It was Anibal Sanchez, uh, Peter Moylan, uh, uh, Chris Stewart, uh, Peter Borges, and Ryan Flaherty. And that's off the top of my head. One of them might not have been on the opening day roster, probably Sanchez. Um, but anyways, but like. You know, listen to the names that didn't sign until until teams actually started showing up to spring trading last year. I mean, you Darvish, all right, J.D. Martinez. Um, those are the two I remember off the top of my head. There are lots and lots more. Jake Arrieta. You, yeah, Jake, Jake Arrieta. You know, those those guys signed later in the year than we are right now. The Braves still have money to spend. There's still, uh, you know, there's still moves that – you, you can't sit by and think the Braves are done. Now, I will say this definitively. If they are, if they don't make any more moves, then we have every right as fans to be furious. Oh, yeah. They did come out and say they'd spend more money, and they are currently under their payroll. They did some come out and say that they would, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to uh, try and create a roster that's going to defend this East, this National League East title. And the other teams have made the moves to catch up. Now, we're still the top dog, okay? And still, until until the Nats or the Mets or or the Phillies, you know, win the division, the Braves are still the top dog, okay? So that's so we don't have to make necessar- necessarily make counter moves to their moves. They're making moves to catch up to us. Um, but but uh, I, I'll say again, you know, if this is it, that would be really disappointing, which is why I really really sincerely don't think. It can possibly be it. Well, to be fair, and I said this, I said this this morning. This is pure speculation. Uh, I have not talked to enough sources to really corroborate this. Uh, but my thought is they were re- they were really deep in on Harper. Uh, whether I don't think it was for near the amount of money that Washington or Philadelphia were offering, I think it was more they were trying to offer him shorter shorter term and then reestablish or whatever, hit the market again, trying to sell them on the fact that come here for two years, win a World Series, reset your market and get paid huge. I think that they were in on Harper because as much as everybody can hate Harper, for what you've seen this offseason, he seems to have been pretty true to his word. He's been looking at teams with really good young players. He's been looking at teams with good farm systems. He hasn't been going off to, oh, cool, this person. He hasn't been looking at the San Diego the San Diego Padres, for instance, uh, who have a good farm system but are still probably three or four years away. He's been looking at teams like the Dodgers, the Braves, the Phillies, um, even, the, even the Nats, uh, and even the White Sox, who we laugh at them, but they – they're going to be better a lot quicker than people expect. So I think I think the Braves were in on him deeper, and that's why they didn't really make a move when Puig was available, uh, why they didn't really make much of a, a fuss for Brantley. And then I think that one, I think Harper probably told them, all right, I'm gonna, you guys are been cut off the list. I think I'm going to take one of these higher offers. So I think they had to do something quick to shore up something so they're left with nothing. So they aren't left with uh, their pants around their ankles, I guess. I am still, and this, this is the Piper, the, excuse me, the Harper thing has been a pipe dream all along. I am not giving up on it. I'm still not giving up on it. You know, like tomorrow right. we could find out that, that the Braves wind up trading, trading Ender and Julio and O'Day in some 
miraculous way to clear $27 million in payroll next year or something, and then he, he winds up here. I mean, the odds of it happening were less than 1%, and now they're way less than that. But until I'm telling you, until he hoists up some other team's jersey, whether it's Philly or going back to Washington, or uh, maybe he does sign with the Padres, who knows, then uh, I'm not giving up on that dream yet because he would be a fool. He would be a fool to not at least give great consideration to coming here. Um, I I will stand right there with you on that uh, on that doc and to uh, to kind of uh, reiterate what what Dylan said. Uh, I firmly believe all season long, Anthopolis has had some sort of creative deal in place or, or a creative deal on the table for Harper. And he's like. You know, they do their spiel. It's not all big in public like the Phillies because the Phillies want to be all out there and, and, you know, make the headlines and be be across MLB's news headlines. Oh, we're going to fly out to L.A. We're gonna, or L.A., uh, Las Vegas, and make a big presentation and all that. He didn't do all that, okay? They probably got a video conference call set up with Harper and Boris, and they made their pitch, all right? Come to Atlanta. We got an awesome young team. You would fit in our outfield. You're real good friends with Freddie Freeman. You and Acuna in the same outfield and in the same lineup would be electric. It'd be fun. It'd be your best chance to 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 finally get over the hump and get into the second round of the playoffs and possibly get to the World Series. And you've got tons of young pitching, great talent, and the prospects. So that's their pitch. All right. But here's what here's something I want to run by you guys, and something that may or may not be on the table even with Marcakis already signed, okay? Picture this deal, okay? Three years, $120 million, okay? Blows the average annual value of a contract records out of the water, okay? Way more than Granke's getting, way more than Kershaw's getting, than Trout's getting, anything like that, okay? He's at $40 million average annual value. But it's $30 million a year with a $30 million signing bonus, it's deferred to five million a year for the six years after he's gone. That, whew. I'm not big. I'm not big on deferred. I'm not big on deferred contracts. I get it. The Harper's a special case, and I would, as long as I got him in here, I'd be fine. Honestly, as long as you're not stuck paying thirty million for six years and and, and disrupting what you're going to have to do with Ronald Acuna, then of course I'd be fine with it. I'm just super leery when it comes to deferring contracts, man. You look at the Nationals and how much money they've got spread down the line in 2024. Like I, I to me, that seems like a slippery slope. But I'd still be fine with it if it brought us Harper. Yeah, hang on, I got that number for you. It's on one of my extra tabs if I could find it. <laughs> uh, I think they've go? got what? We've talked about it before, but they've got like five players whose contract money they've just deferred down the line. Um, we're, we're, well, Scherzer, uh, Strasburg, and Corbin are the big ones. In the year 2026, All right, they'll be paying those three guys $35 million to not pitch for them. Oh, my God. Right. Okay, Scherzer <laughs> will be 41, Strasser will be 37, and Corbin will be 36. And they'll be making a combined $35 million, and the last ones who have pitched for him will be Corbin two years prior. Wow. That's <sighs> that's like a, a master class. I, in, uh, and I, I don't see Alex doing something like that. I don't see Alex doing something like that. And I can understand being wary of deferred money, but that was just kind of – I. I I was kind of spurned on this idea of, of a $40 million average annual value because he, 
Harper probably wants to break some records, all right? He's already broken some records as a hitter in his 20s or in his teens when he broke into the major leagues. Now he wants to break salary records. He wants to be the guy that either gets the most money ever or the highest AAV. And this gives him an opportunity to do that. You can put, you can add thirty million to the payroll. You'd, you'd have, there'd be some, there'd have to be corresponding moves. You would have to move Julio to clear up enough money to do that. You might have to also move. Uh, you'd have to move, probably have to move Julio and some of the maybe one or two of the higher um, arbitration guys, Galsman uh, or this guy, you know, Darren O'Day um, as well. I would assume but, in his nine million. O'Day, O'Day, if you can move him. Um, but I think I would focus on trying to maybe move Taron and maybe Busy or something like that. Moving moving Julio and Busy opens up 15 million. We said we have 15 to 20 to, to to spend. Okay, so take away their 15. Now you got 30 million to spend. Give it to Harper, and you don't have to worry about. And then and then your deferrals are on the end. It's only okay. Air quote only because this is not our money that we're spending. This is. <laughs> Braves money that we're spending, but it's five million dollars a year, and that's that's not an that's not an, an amount that I think would hold you back from being able to extend Acuna or Fulty or or Ozzy uh, or, or or something like that. And we certainly have the ability in the budget to add thirty million for the next three years because twenty twenty there's only thirty five million on the books. Twenty twenty one there's only thirty nine million on the books. That's guaranteed contracts only. That's no arbitration. Or anything like that. So, the ability to do a deal like that is is there. And I, I'm with you on that. Doc and I have been talking about that for probably the last month or two, especially with the way that free agency seems to go. I don't think anybody's getting these ten year deals anymore. Doc and I were talking after the show last week. We're not even certain that Mike Trout gets one of these ten year deals because people are just done giving ten years. And I think that's hard for Boris to accept because he he gets a big percentage of his overall contract value. So if Harper makes $300 million, all of a sudden, if he's getting 10% of it, it's a much better look than if Harper signs for two years, $60 million or two years, $75 million or whatever. That's why I've been a big case of if Harper wants to break the record, take the shorter year, say a three-year deal, um, say 35 or 40 per, you still break the average annual record. And not only that, you end that contract still in your prime, in prime position to get another giant contract. I don't know why... Harper and Machado haven't looked towards doing that. I don't know if it's ego or whatever, but I, if, if that's what we're talking about, I'd be fully on board. And it's entirely possible that they are, that, that, that they're looking to pivot, you know, because if, if you're going into the offseason thinking you're going to make $300 million in the highest offer you're getting, I know that the, the White Sox offer to Manny was $175, which was, which was later refuted. But if, if somebody was throwing $300 million at both of these guys, um, that I feel like they both would have signed. Well, the Nationals offered three hundred million. Yeah, but it's the Nationals, and Bryce would have to go back to the Nationals. Right. So, well, and they also they also made that offer before the end of the year, or like in that. Right. They, they probably made that offer in that uh, either as like a possible extension offer, or in that five day uh, exclusive closed window after the end of the World Series, in which you have exclusive no- negotiation negotiating rights with your free agents before they can go and be and negotiate with other teams. That's probably when that offer was made. And he was like, well, I'm not going to take that now. I got to see what other offers are out there. And if they are going to decide to pivot, that could make this whole process last even longer because if they decide to pivot, that probably opens up the door to more teams. Yeah. 
That's that's true. I mean, that's if if you're going to wind up bringing your your total contract value down and concentrating on a high AAV, then you're right, and that this opens up for mid market teams like the Braves. Or honestly, he could fit anywhere. Even teams that have a full outfield already, like the Dodgers, you know, because that's, that's the biggest thing about him not going to L.A. is the fact that they're not willing to give him the ten years. I, of all of the teams that would be willing to just give him actually stupid money i think la is probably the one that would be the best fit for him but there there are a lot of barriers to entry and if they're saying hey here's here's five and 180 take it or leave it then then what do you do right now from from one potential la outfielder i still don't think he's signing there i think that they've been pretty studious with saying that they want to stand to the chat the cap but the the recent idea has been Jock Peterson. He's been the name that's been thrown around the last couple days right before Marcakis was signed. Uh, Everybody was kind of getting their dander up talking about do we want Jock Peterson or not. Boggy, I wanted to get your idea. What do you think about Jock Peterson? Is that somebody that the Braves could still look to add or would having two lefties in Marcakis and Jock Peterson kind of make that redundant? I think think adding Jock Peterson uh, 24 hours ago Adding Jock Peterson and platooning him with Duvall primarily in right field and only letting Jock face right-handed pitchers because he sucks against left-handed pitchers. I mean, no way around it. He sucks. Putrid. Putrid. And maybe he could get better against left-handed pitchers, but he sucks against them. So 24 hours ago, bringing in Jock Peterson and platooning him with with Adam Duvall um, would have been totally okay with me. Right? Now, tonight... I don't know that that's a move that really fits anymore unless there's a corresponding move to where you move the ball or you move somebody else and, and, and you, and you play, you give Marcakis the days off that they've said they're going to give him off, even though it's going to be like, you know, pulling his beard hairs out, probably trying to get him to actually come off the field and not put on his glove and run out there to right field every night. <laughs> um, I, 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 I saw it as a potential fit 24 hours ago. I don't think it's as good of a fit now. I wouldn't put it past Anthopolis, Anthopolis to to try to figure something out, some way to make it work, especially if the Dodgers are going to go and get A.J. Pollock or, God forbid, they go get Bryce Harper. They're still going to have that boatload of, of outfielders and probably going to need to move at least one of them, and Peterson's probably the one that would give them the best return. Yeah, you're not going to get a whole lot out of Andrew Tolles. And having a guy like Cody Bellinger that can kind of fill, fill a number of different roles for you as well, I think he, he's, you know, you would get a huge return for Belly, but I think that he, he's a little more valuable to the Dodgers than he kind of would be to anybody else. They're not willing to trade Bellinger to get JT Real Muto. You're not getting Bellinger from them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair enough. I don't know. I've, I'm intrigued by the by this whole by this whole Jock Peterson thing. I, you, you're right though. There would have to be another corresponding move, and I honestly feel like Ender would be the piece that winds up getting moved. Since the whole thing, it was Keith Law's argument last off season or going into the 2018 season that he got crucified for saying Braves should trade Ender and Ciarte while his value is at his highest. That's when he was coming off hit the 200 hit season, and you know, so you can plug Acuna into center field. If you do wind up rolling out an outfield of Acuna, Jock, and Marcakis, that's it's a step down defensively, obviously, because Ender is a premier defender in center field. But uh, the the bat gets so much the 
power capacity rather gets so much better. It gets so much better because I mean, even even with sucking against lefties, Peterson is a monster against righties. And and if you look at some of the stats for the steps that he took from 2017 to 2018 on fastballs, like he doubled his batting average. Say what you will about batting average, but if you double it, that's probably good. Well, you up to yeah, slugging so. and everything because what he did was he dropped his hands a little bit instead of staying. Uh, his, his previous stance was was very. I don't know how I can say this the right way, but it was not uh, a very well-thought-out stance. It was good for power. It was good for his lift, but it prevented him from really getting his hands back in time. His hands were a little bit too far forward, so he starts with him farther back now, uh, less on the load time, allows him to get to it quicker, using more hip explosion. So he, he's always had that power. I mean, Jock's always been about that big-time pop. Now he's got a little bit better stance to adjust those hard fastballs that everybody can throw nowadays. You know, you can still get him with some off-speed stuff, but the Braves saw firsthand what happens when you throw Jock Peterson a fastball. That's right. Yeah, set, they the did. set the tone for the NLDS. It absolutely did. I think the tone was set by the fact that they had like eight players with 20 home runs. Yeah, that's probably true. And they're more than likely, well, they did trade one of them, but there's a decent chance that they'll pull something out of their back ends and end up with another eight players that hit 20 home runs again this year just because they're the Dodgers and they somehow always manage to figure out a way to do that. And they had two 20 home run guys coming off the bench last year and Chris Taylor didn't hit 20 home runs. I mean, you had Max Muncy splitting time with David Freeze at the end of the year and then you had Brian Dozier coming off the bench. I mean, that, that's, that's a lot of power. But we've talked enough about them. You mentioned, Boggy, you mentioned rest days. And if we're talking about Nate Markakis and, you know, he's here, so whatever, whine about the contract if you want, be upset about it or love it, whatever, I think everybody can agree he cannot play 162 games again this year. I will 100% agree with that. I think it's uh, the, the, the the downturn in his stats in August and September um, had could probably some of that could certainly be attributed to the fact that he was 34 years old. He was playing, you know, day in, day out in the hot, humid summer nights in Atlanta uh, and, you know, playing America's game. And just, I'm, I think it, I think it took a toll on him. Um, you know, it was nice. It's good. That is, you know, his exit velocities were still there and his contact rates were still there, but um, uh, you know, even, even through August and September, um, but his apparently, I think his launch angle dipped a little bit. Um, so, so the, the, the eye obviously is always there. He's and he's the OVP is, is there. Just the, the, everything was what was turning into hits and long fly balls and doubles to the wall in April and May and June for grounders to, to the third base side in, in August and September. Well, that is and, BAPIP dropped 65 points. Right. Wow. Wow. So if you if you if you I, I think it's fairly obvious and and you, and you can also you can look at what's been said about the team and what they've said even when they signed Josh Donaldson, okay? They signed Josh Donaldson which moves Camargo off a third which gets him an opportunity to move around the diamond to give guys days off. Like it wasn't just Marcakis that dipped in the second half last year, okay? If your last name wasn't Acuña and you played for the Atlanta Braves last year, your stats dipped off at the plate in the second half, period. And so the opportunity to do that is is front and center, I think, for the Braves right now. They've done it partially already with Camargo. They can go pick up 
if they pick up another outfield like a, like like a Peterson or something like that, or or if they use Duvall and less of a pinch hitter off the bench role and more of a platoon role to where he's actually getting into getting two to three starts a week, then that keeps all of your lineup fresh throughout the entire grind of the entire of the entire season. And you hopefully don't see that dip in August and September from your entire lineup that's over the age of 22. And Fre- <laughs> Freddie, Freddie had the same same thing going on. And and sometimes just the, the tiniest little break in the routine. Because the day that he got off was September 5th, I think. And that was the game that the Braves bullpen just completely, completely lost it against the Red Sox. But... Freddie came in, pinched hit in the eighth inning, and hit a game tying home run. Sometimes yeah, that's just that, that will forever be known as the Brandon Phillips game. I believe. That was, right, <laughs> God, and he and he earned the right to pimp that thing when he was, you know, that was that was a monster home run he hit. But uh, but sometimes, yeah, just a tiny little break in the routine from just the one day. Because I mean, I think Freddie Freddie played in all 162 as well, but he just that was the only one he didn't start. Correct. So. So yeah, I mean having having a guy like Camargo and you know we can have the conversation about whether or not he he's actually going to take to the outfield or and there's talk about Camargo possibly playing first base, which is news news to me. So, um, but yeah, just having somebody who can even if it's just a couple innings, you know, just just to kind of fill in, you know, sit down, watch the game. You don't have to be going full tilt, standing in the sun. I mean, yeah, throw some sunflower seeds at Kelsey during an interview, you know, right. Right. Don't let Julio be the only one who's harassing her while while she's doing a, a report from the dugout or something. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's you, Dylan. You still live here. I live here, and and, and Boggy, I know you still live here too. I mean, even even at night, you know, it is just excruciating outside every single night between May the first and uh, pretty much Thanksgiving. So um, it's hard, man. It's hard just being being out there and and look. I'm older than Nick Markakis is. I'm an old ass man, and and I'll tell you, it's it's hard. It's hard living in the seat. Yep. Yeah, it's it's like a oven when you're standing there on that field. And you guys are talking about Camargo now. I think Camargo again. He was an X factor last season. I think he's an X factor again this season. I think Camargo's a guy that's going to have to play a gigantic role. That's probably one of the things I'm most nervous about this year. Is is can Brian Snicker be a little non traditional and get Camargo 500? plate appearances can he actually use him the way the Cubs use Zobrist or is he going to relegate him to essentially being a utility piece to what Charlie Culberson was and you get one start a week I need Camargo to be in the lineup more than he's not I need Camargo to be in the lineup more than Dansby is to be if I'm being quite honest oh we know how you we all know how you stand on Dansby um but if I will agree with you (laughs) I need to be proven wrong before somebody can yell at me for that Camargo definitely should be in the lineup more than he's not he he needs 450 to 500 plate appearances, and we have the opportunity to do that. Um, and but but you're right; it's got to get through Snickers. Um, you know, brilliant yet sometimes a little too old school mind. You know, his NL East division leading clubhouse uh, chemistry creating uh, mind that that you know he can he can rotate his guys around. He doesn't have to write the same eight guys in the lineup every day. Okay, the same seven guys just swap the catchers around. You know, he doesn't have to do that every day. You know, I think the uh, 
the Dodgers had made it to the World Series the last two years. They didn't quite weren't quite able to finish it off. But I bet if you go back and look at their uh, their players and their PA uh, plate appearance totals over the last few years, I bet they've probably had double digit guys get 300 plate appearances for them each of the last two years. Same with the Cubs. I'll bet that they. Roughly. I'll bet Javi Baez was the only Cub that had more than 150 games. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And you know, and and the you can see that's the way that the game is is kind of going. Okay, it's it's hard to have those horses of the the 50s and 60s and 70s that pitch 300 innings and and play uh, however many innings in, in in the field. You know, 162 games. And it just it's the way the game is moving. Roster manipulation, options, swapping guys in and out. You know, effectively running with you know six man rotation, DL manipulation. It's it's the way it's going, and you got to embrace it, or you're going to get left behind. That more than anything, you know, we can, and this is just a quick little aside. That underscores how unbelievable what Cal Ripken did is. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely! Wow! Let's, yes. Let's like, let's also not pretend that like Cal Ripken would come and start a game and leave in the second inning at the end of it. Like as long as he started, he started. It's like, and I'm not taking anything away from Cal. I think Cal was one of the most amazing athletes of all time. Uh, but let's not act like he played the full nine innings in every one of those games. Well, no, but he still did it 2,600 times. I mean, even if you're coming out in the in the second inning, that's a lot of first innings in a row to not miss. So I don't know. That's uh, you're right, though. Just the the game is changing. You're you're not seeing guys that are that are pitching for as much in seasons, or or you're as deep into their careers. You know, there there's a lot of chatter about about um, with Tom Brady making it back to the Super Bowl. A lot of chatter of who's the greatest over forty athlete of all time, and the answer is, I mean, it's it's Nolan Ryan. You know what I mean? But but guys like Nolan Ryan, they, they don't exist anymore. You know, all right. and <laughs> all right, Dylan, you ready? Okay, during his streak, he played 162 games from 1983 all the way through 1993. Okay, and he had over 700 plate appearances every single one of those seasons, except for two. And in those two seasons, he had 695 and 689. Yeah, he's a monster. I mean, he's not not going in and coming out in the second inning, buddy. He's playing the whole damn game. (laughs) I would guarantee you that he came out in the fourth inning. Especially, that's actually what they talked about that on the MLB Network as well. Uh, But... That aside, Cal Ripken is an absolute monster freak that I don't think you'll ever see the same again. The same, same people said the same thing about Lou Gehrig, and look how look how long it took somebody to break Lou Gehrig's record. Right, he played. He, Cal, I'm, I'm looking at his baseball reference page because it came up, and he played in 19 straight All Star games. It's insane. Do you know how many injuries that man had to have played through? He must have never gotten hit on the wrist by a pitch from Aaron Loop. Or if he did, that he just decided he'd swing one handed. Like that dirty little secret is he didn't play all 19 of those years healthy. Like there was some serious stuff that he just played through. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, now we, we've done a lot about that, so we got to move on because we are going to run out of time before too too long if we keep going at this rate. So we're going to do some over-unders, but before we do, I've got one more sponsor we're going to talk about, Ticks Blitz. If you heard Doc do it last week, it was Doc's first time doing an ad read, and we were all so very proud of him. But if you want to look at Ticks Blitz, they are the newest partner with Armchair All-Americans, who, as you know, are the guys gracious enough to sponsor the show, make it so everybody can, can see us everywhere. 
But tick splits, the big thing about tick splits, what what sets them apart from everybody else and what, in my mind, makes them the best, no ticket fees. So if you go to SeatGeek, if you go to Ticketmaster, if you go to StubHub, they're always going to charge you a seat fee, whether that is 25 bucks depending on the game, or 12 bucks or, or whatever. There is none of that on tick splits. You get the same great rates. You still get the same uh, aftermarket sales, essentially. You, you still get the same type of deals that you will on, on StubHub. You just don't have to pay a ticket fee. That makes them the best in the business. They're, they're new and burgeoning. Make sure you use them, guys. Throw a little shout out to them. They are a fantastic company. Get to using them now. And even better, if you use our promo code armchair at the te- at the checkoff, at the checkout line, they'll give you 5% off the, t- the ticket purchase. So not only will you not have to pay a seat fee, you'll actually get 5% off the entire order as well. Again, just use the promo code armchair to do that. Now, when me and Doc were talking about this maybe an hour before the Nick Marcakis signing when I was at work. I, I wanted to do something a little bit different today because I wasn't expecting that we'd have Nick Marcakis to talk about. One thing that I always like to do is over-unders. Now, Vegas will obviously set their over-unders. We talked last week, I believe it was, they set the Braves over under 84 wins. I told you guys to uh, take, the, take the over on that one. I think 84 is a little low. So I try to come up with some knowing full well the offseason still has a month plus to go. So I only picked players that we're almost entirely certain are going to be on the team the whole time. So, uh, Boggy, you want to play with us? Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, I'll start this off, and Boggy, you get first answer here. Ronald Acuna, 25 homers, over under. Over. Doc? Definitely good. The only, the only way he doesn't hit more than 25 home runs is if, is, is if he misses more than a month due to injury. The only way. I'm, I'm he missed blind. a month due to injury, and he was delayed by three weeks for service time, and he still hit 26 last year. Yeah, I'm gonna take the over on that one too. I am as well, and I think you, I think he has to. Ha- it has to be the over if the Braves are gonna have the type of season that they want. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. Yeah. Now here's one that this one I'm really interested. Ozzy Albies over under a 310 OBP. Ooh. Um. Man, I know. <laughs> I'm having trouble um, with that one. <laughs> um, I, I am going to take the over, but it's not going to be much over. I don't. I don't think he's going to. I think he's going to make some adjustments, um, and 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 be a little better overall than than he was towards the end of the season, especially in the second half. Um, I'm going to take the over, um, but it's it's not going to be that much over. And his OBP and his batting average are probably still going to be pretty close to one another because the the walks just do not seem to be there right now. He's a little too aggressive. He's got to lay off the aggressiveness, and maybe the walk rate will pick back up a little bit. Um, but uh, I'll take the over, but not by much. You know, I'm actually I'm going to take the over as well. I think. See, last year he had a 305, and in that 57-game sample he had in 2017 when he came up, it was 354. Um, I'm going to take the over because I think that he's going to be a little less homer-happy next year. Hopefully, you know, he had, he was talking about how uh, how his approach changed uh, last year or uh, after his really hot start. I think that was an article that Mark Bowman came out with. Um so I would not be surprised, and, and this might just be wishful thinking, to, to see him kind of get back to that, not so much a slap hitter, but not a, a guy who's going to hit 24 home runs. 
like he did this past year. I think because of that, I think his uh, doubles into the gap, uh, triples, I think that his average is going to go up. And I think that even if the walks don't come, that I think that just um, having a higher batting average will increase his OBP. So I'm taking the over. Dylan Short. I think I'm leaning more towards what Boggy was saying. I think you're going to see him with a three, something like a three twelve or a three fifteen OBP. I don't see Ozzy as a three hundred type of hitter. I think two eighty, two eighty five is good for him. And while I don't think he hits twenty four homers again, I think he's. I think just just the style that he hits, his swing, his stance, his leg kick lends itself towards being somebody that's you know eighteen to twenty type of home runs. I think that that's always going to be a part of his game, and I think even toning down the aggression does not mean he's going to get more walks. It just means he might see more second pitches in that bat. So I think he will get just over that three ten mark, and I think he'll be. I think the biggest thing for him, aside from OBP, is to be more consistent from first and second half, not have such a big dip. And also from both sides of the plate. Yeah, I'm going to need to see that a lot more too. Uh, I'm thinking he'll get some of that stuff worked out. There was a few mechanical flaws he was talking about. Um, but on to the next one. And, Doc, you know I had to get this one in here. Dansby Swanson, over under 2 F4. Over under 2 F4. Um. Dang, that's another tough one because F-War doesn't value defense as highly as, as, as B-War does. does. Um, mm, I, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to take the under. Yes! Um, I, <laughs> I think, and, and, and here's why I think I might, I'm going to take the under on that. I don't think he's going to play more than 130 games. Is that... Uh, I, and that's, that not just, be- that's not because he's going to get injured. That's because I'm hoping that a, that that Ryan Snicker gets it through his head and Anthopolis gets it through Ryan Snicker's head that Camargo needs to be in that lineup five or more days a week. And eventually that's going to be at the expense of Danzy Swanson. And Ozzy slides to short. Ozzy slides to short. Camargo to second base. Very simple. Well, I'm going to feel real ganged up on here for a second because I'm going to take the over. Um, even with, you know, war is a counting stat. So even with having missed 26 games last year, he was still at 1.9. Um, you saw in April how good he can be. Dansby's April was awesome. And it was that game in Chicago. Yet another, I, I was just talking about the game against the Red Sox where the Braves bullpen just completely ate it. Do, do not forget that they ate it just as bad in Chicago back in April when it was like six degrees outside. But yeah, that was a, they were trying to they were trying to play through Winter Storm Harper. <laughs> dude, yeah, that was that was that was unbelievable. You know, that was really just like I even even when the winning manager comes out after the game and says, "Why did we just play that game?" Then you yeah. know that something something was going wrong. But uh, but even with missing that time, he was still at one point nine, and you saw the incremental gains. Uh, with the bat last year. Now, I, I don't think that he's going to come anywhere near what he was projected to be when he was a prospect. I mean, since he was like the number four ranked prospect in the game. But I think that the steps you saw from 17 to 18 are going to carry forward 18 and 19. I wouldn't be surprised to see him post a 725 OPS instead of 699 with um, 17 home runs and plus defense at short. So even if he does miss sometimes, I'm pretty comfortable projecting him at two and a half. 
You guys maybe both, even maybe a little more. You guys both know I'm saying under on this. Uh, I think that the smart play is like Boggy saying that he's not going to get as many games as he got a year ago uh, because I, I do believe that offense is more important than defense in this day and age in baseball. You've seen it with with who goes to the playoffs and who goes deep into the playoffs. It's the offensive teams. Guys that play great defense and can't hit, they are a dime a dozen, and they are utility players. Um, as far as his offense goes and his incremental gains, Doc, it is really hard for a player to be worse than 60 runs created plus. So I don't put a whole lot of stock in him going to 82 weighted runs created plus. Um, hey, man, he was, he was 80 last year. He is, to me, and it goes it goes so far beyond just the the stats. He is Jeff Rancourt. Uh, comes up with this gigantic blitzkrieg, totally unsustainable, but it sets the world on fire, the hometown kid. He's even got the same stance. He's got the same problem, the same pitches, and just a steady downhill after that. I, As well, I've said before, and I'm, I'm really not trying to be a hater here. I promise I'm not trying to. Um, I just I don't have any faith in him now. Maybe he comes out and all of a sudden he's a 16 homer and hits 260 and you know whatever. But I got to see it. This is two years in a row where we've had nothing but the injury excuse for Dansby Swanson. I think that you need to change your um, your pinned tweet uh, to if the Braves sign Mike Trout, you'll you'll get his uh, his face tattooed or something like that. I think you need to change it to if Dansby wins an MVP, you'll get his name tattooed on you somewhere. I mean, there's no point in that because there's no possibility of that ever happening. I, I think you need to put your money where your mouth is. Okay. Man. <laughs> All right. Sure. I'll do that one too. Anyway, on to the next one. Fulte. I'll even buy, I'll even buy the tattoo. Okay. Fulte, yeah. <laughs> Fulte, over under a three ERA. What's his FIP? I'm just going ERA. <laughs> I didn't dig into FIP right now. All right. Um, that's tough. Um, um, I'm going to take the over, uh, but again, not very far over. And because I, I firmly believe a guy like him, being an extremely effective pitcher, can put up three to four war easy. With an ERA still in the low threes, I'm kind of inclined to think a very similar uh, that it is going to be over. But I want to see who he is next year after he works with Rick Kranitz for a little bit. I don't know if he's going to be better or worse. But once again, here's the phrase: incremental gains. He wasn't even incrementally gaining over 27. Like he looked like a completely different pitcher last year than than he did in 2017. So even retaining half of that swagger that he had, then then that's huge for him. He cut he cut the walks, the strikeouts were up. I mean, he I I think he can post four war or three point nine war again, but I yeah, I think he, he could probably wind up doing that even if he's at like three point three ERA. This is shocking. I mean, he, he he dropped his ERA by two runs from twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen. So I I think that there's there's I don't. I don't see a Jacob Degrom progression for him as far as like his ERA goes. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's going to make those steps. I think it'll. I think it'll bump back up just a hair. Um, he, you know, he dropped his WHIP by point three. Uh, you know, walks and hits, burnings pitch, which is which is pretty amazing. I think it's going to fall somewhere closer 
in between, which will bump him back up, back over the three. But now I'm really curious to hear what Dylan has to say. I'm gonna, I'm taking the under. I think what you saw with Fulte is not something that's a fluke. And I haven't been Fulte's biggest fan. Uh, but like Doc mentioned, last year was totally different. And it's, you know, everybody talks about having a kid and it's settling him down on the mound a little bit. But it does go deeper than that. He's, he changed up a few things in his mechanics other than kind of hunching over on the mound when he was coming forward. He would get a little bit of a lean back. And that helps his fastball add a little bit of deception because it does not have a high spin rate. What he really learned the most, though, what was the most impressive was being willing to use his slider in traditional fastball counts. And when you bring in Rick Kranitz, Fulte didn't have a lot of problems with walks last year, but there were certain starts where the walks would start to pile up. And it's why he would start to uh, why he would start to to be a little bit shorter in games, whether it would be five innings or six innings. And Kranitz is notorious for getting the walks out of you. Look what he did with Aaron Nola. I see a big year for Fulte. I could see him, I could see him in the two eights this year. Now whether that means his FIP is still in the threes or whatever, I'm not talking about that. Just pure ERA. I think it's a big year for Fulte and I think he finished his top five in the Cy Young. Dude, I'm down have, for it. I'm down yeah. for it. Yeah, I'm loving. I'm loving the optimism. Here's another one: Mike Soroka over under 160 innings pitched. Does that include major, major league, league and major league innings? Um, I've been going first all along, so I guess I'll continue to go first. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm deferring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Man, um, I know Soroka's your dude, Dylan, um, but I don't think he – I'm not sure he gets back up to 160. I think they're going to um, – I think they're going to baby him. I think they'll uh, – I, I think they're going to rotate three or four guys out of the last two spots for uh, – not even the last two spots, the last spot in the rotation – Maybe the last two, if you kind of include Newcomb to try to get him the extra rest, I don't really know. I think they're going to do a lot of that this year. Um, I mean, there are uh, – sorry, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven minor league uh, uh, starting pitchers with at least one option left, and five of them have all three. Um you know, I think they're gonna they're gonna rotate those guys around, and I think it's just he's just not gonna get as many games. They're gonna not they're not gonna throw throw him back out there to try to be a horse, uh, especially after their shoulder injury. I, I, I'm taking the under. I'm gonna take the under as well, and pretty much for everything you you just laid out. I mean, even even if his shoulder is structurally sound, my God, I should have chosen my words better. That's a tough one. Uh, I, think, I think that you know his his career high in innings is 153 and two thirds. Now, granted, that was with 26 starts um, in 2017, and so he, if he winds up staying as a, as a mainstay in the rotation for the entire season, then he could he could certainly make it to that. But based on on the general volume of of that, if we're going strictly major league innings, I, I do think that will be tough for him to reach. But I, I, I can see if he if he winds up getting if he winds up getting optioned, um, maybe combined uh, between major, major and minor. Then, um, then yeah. But for just major, I'm, I'm taking the under. Again, I'm going to take the over. 
Uh, I don't think he gets like I'm not going to get crazy and think he gets 200 innings, but I think that I think that they try to baby him at the start. I think Soroka is going to be the second best pitcher on the staff this year. Uh, the shoulder injury was not anything I major. Julio Tehran. The the shoulder was not anything major. It was more he was babied. He was shut down because everybody else was doing pretty well, and there was no need to rush him last year. Uh, he's perfectly fine now. Uh, if he and if he. At throwing 97 miles an hour, that, that's just insane, but that's off the point. I think uh, Soroka's got an easy, clean delivery. He's got all that size. He's got the stamina that points to being a guy that's going to go 6-7 to seven in pretty much all of the starts. He doesn't really struggle with walks. I could see him being 165-170. you want to know what his FIP was in his 25 innings in the majors? I'm going to guess it's going to be something stupid, like 245. 285. Dang it, I was thinking about that, too, I swear. That, that's insane for that's insane for a rookie, and that's with two bad starts. Twenty years yeah. old. <laughs> the only home run he gave up last season was that moonshot against Cespedes in his in his first start. Hey, yeah, Cespedes earned that one. Yes, he oh, did. He, oh, yes, he absolutely did. Was that the same game when he broke his diamond chain and he hit a double? Yep. Or was that something? <laughs> I think that was seventy five thousand dollar diamond chain. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just seeing seeing the shortstop out there just picking diamonds up off the dirt. Like, oh, I'd be pocketing those. I just love. I I think I think MLB like saved the 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 gif in uh gif in uh in, in the, the clubhouse app or something like that of like of his face when he rounds second after after standing up and he grabs it and he throws it on the ground in disgust and like there's sparklies going everywhere. Around him. <laughs> Pure Cespedes moment. Uh, Brian McCann over under three hundred at bats. What was that? Three hundred. Three hundred. I know I've been deferring the whole time, but can I can I jump in on this one? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, that to me is contingent on whether or not Tyler Flowers or JT Realmuto is our starting catcher. You don't get to do year. this. This is a pure question, Doc. Over under. No over analyzing. I'm going to – okay, well, then, if I can't bend the rules that way, I'm going to bend them this way. Push. Exactly 300 of bats next year. <laughs> because, I mean, and that's that's probably – that's a, probably about right. I mean, Flowers, as, as currently designed, Flowers is way better at hitting lefties. So just by virtue of playing matchups, then McCann stands to reason would start more than Flowers would, um, especially with as many uh, strong righties are in the division. Uh, it will depend on his knees. Uh, it's off season, so it's time for he's in the best shape of his life type stuff. I I can I can see a scenario where it's going to be like a seventy five twenty five split percentage wise between Flowers or whoever and and McCann. Uh, but there will be some pinch hit appearances. There could be you know there could be some type of extended period where you know Flowers is a magnet for hit by pitches, so he he's going to wind up going on the DL at least a little bit. So instead of Flowers and McCann, you're looking at McCann and Alex Jackson, maybe. And, and so McCann's going to wind up getting the lion's share of the playing time there. And to me, swirl it all together, exactly 300 of bats. <laughs> um, that's a tough one. That's I'm going to go under, but slightly. Um, I think he gets close, but not quite there. Um, I bet he, I bet he ends up on the DL at some point. I don't think it'll necessarily be for the bulky knee. He got that fixed. Be, he's probably going to get hit by a pitch. All right. Or he's going to pull up lame running to first. All right. 
or, or, or something along those lines, and he's going to miss a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm going to take the under, but but just slightly under. Um, you know, for uh, just uh, I think it's it's going to end up being a, a pretty darn even split. I'm going to take the under because I'm going to say that the Braves get JT Real Muto. So wh- what do you think happens so, with the so, 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 so Dylan can break the rules, but, but, but Doc can't. Oh, I didn't break the rules. I'm taking the under. So I'm not saying, oh, well, if they okay, don't get so JT. You're, taking the under, you're not taking the under on a contingency. You're taking the under yeah. because you're doing right. that we're yeah, I'm not. Right. I'm not trying to have these here. I'm not trying to dip one toe in the water. No, I'm saying under because I think the Braves get JT Romito, and then I think that McCann catches like 30 games this year. I would be. I. I would be perfectly okay with that because we would pick up JT Romito. That makes the Marquecas deal work across the board. It does. It makes it a whole lot better because then Marquecas can drop down even farther in the order. Uh, Real Muto can hit behind Freddy, blah, blah, blah. You can do your right, left, right, left, whatever. Uh, Johan Camargo, over under 20 home runs this year. Mm, over. I'm going to take the under on that, actually. Um, not because I don't think that he, he's got it in the tank to do it. I just think that since his playing time is going to wind up being compromised at least a little bit. Um, so 17, I think he, I think he'll get close, but I think that, uh, not having that home to always go to, um, unless something is something is to happen to Donaldson or, or Dansby or somebody like if it's once again, if we're playing with the rules from the last one, if it just is currently designed, uh, then I, I think that he's going to get a little less playing time, similar output to last year. And so he's going to do better in less time, but not enough to get to 20. So that is my, that is my long and unnecessarily long answer. Yeah. Well, all I said was over. Um, I want to <laughs> jump in right before Dylan says anything. I've, and, and this is just going to be my weird. I think this is going to happen. Put it down on paper because it's going to happen. Johan Gamargo is going to get super duper hot for like five weeks. He's just going to be destroying the baseball for for some period of time during some period of the year where just no pitcher can get anything by him, and he's just launching things out of the stadium. And that's gonna that's gonna carry him to more than twenty home runs. It's just some ridiculous hot streak that that nobody can stop talking about. Not just people not just Braves fans. Like he's gonna he's just gonna catch a hot streak and it's gonna propel him to more than twenty home runs. Now, that one, I'm actually going to take the push. I'm going to take the even on that one. I think he gets right at 20. Uh, last year, he was at 17, and he missed a month. Uh, also had to deal with the embarrassment of Jose Bautista getting starts over him for whatever reason. Um, but I, I agree with you, Doc. I don't think he's going to start the same amount of games at different places, but I think he's going to play more games overall because he's not going to miss a month. Uh, Boggy, I like what you said. I think Camargo is going to take another step forward this year. Don't forget this. Like last year was a totally different Camargo than what you saw his rookie year, where the rookie year was more ground ball based, focused on on hitting in ground ball gaps and singles and stuff like that. With the super high BABIP. Last year he comes out, he added twenty pounds of muscle, started adding loft into swing with a big old leg kick. Now he's gotten another year used to that. Now he's working on on turning that instead of just into being mass to being more muscle and being better weight. I think you see a better Camargo. I don't think he slows down at the end of the year. And I think that he becomes, I think he's going to finish as your, your mm, probably your fourth best player overall. Um, 
I got two more here. Enduring Ciarte. This is a two-parter, but answer it in its entirety. Over under 300 average with 20 stolen bases. 300 average, 20 stolen bases. Feel free to double part this one if you just have to. I am going I'm going to take the under on the batting average and push on the stolen bases. Exact same. How's that for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that Dylan you just referred to this as double parking. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm on double park. Um so yeah, I think uh, under on the batting average, I think better than last year and um Probably right at right at twenty for the for the stolen bases. I'm going to take under on the average. I think he's not much under something like two ninety. I'm going to take over on the steals. I'm going to think that he gets around right. twenty three to twenty five. Last I mean, one. That, that, that's not a bad bet. I mean, he had twenty eight last year. Um, he also had fourteen caught stealings. Maybe he can improve on that. That fourteen caught stealings led the majors, by the way. That's what I'm counting um, on. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully with a little more tutelage from old Eric Young Senior over there at first base, maybe he can drop, he can increase his percentages a little better there. That's what I'm counting on. Last one, and I just added this one just for you guys. Nick Markakis over under 145 games started. I'm taking that over. <laughs> I really am. I think Brian Brian Snicker loves. Nick Markakis loves him, and there there is still a lot to love there. Um, I I think even just giving him the tiniest bit of recoup time is going to be huge for him. So, and it's it's going to take him getting a day off. Uh, say in May, he's going to get a day off, and then his next day back on, he's going to go four for four, and they're going to say, "Oh my God, well maybe maybe there's something to this." Not enough to do it all the time, but but certainly enough to to kind of lean into giving him some rest days here and there. So I'm I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the over. Um you said 145. Yes. I man. See I'm kind of been cheating as we've been talking here because every time you bring one of these up I bring up their baseball reference page so I have like some information to make my well educated guess here because I'm boggy and that's what I do. Um, <laughs> um, I'm doing the same, but with fan graphs, so I, I can't fault you for that. I think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm actually also going to take the over because outside of his injury shortened season, he's never not started fewer than 147, and it's usually more than 155. And um, you know, for everything Doc said, uh, that, that all fits. Um, you know. It could have been could have been GM talk that they're not going to let him start every single game. I think whether or not, I think the rest of the roster can kind of will will kind of, or any other future moves would 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 have a big influence on whether or not we're way off on on taking the over on that. Because if they pick up the right, you know, additional outfielder for whatever reason, you know, who knows what other deals, um, uh, Anthopolis currently may still have in the works and hasn't completely pulled off the table just because he signed Marcakis. Um, again, this is like a contingency plan, but, um, you know, I'm going to take the over as well. Um, but I think that, I think that he should start less than 150. I'm going to take the over for essentially what doc said. I don't think that Snickers is going to be able to keep him. He's not, he's not going to be able to make himself, not start him. Uh, I agree with you as well, Boggy. That number needs to be under 
I think it needs to be under 145 in order to get peak Mark Akis. It's going to be 35 years old. Uh, that BABIP is going to come down. It was 344 in the first half last year. He's like a 317 career BABIP guy. And as you get older, your reflexes start to slow as well. Your fastball, your ability to hit the fastball starts to fail a little bit. I think it's got to be under 145. I don't think it will be. So JT Realmuto is going to make a huge difference. There you go. <laughs> well, now that we've been going on for like an hour and 15 minutes here because, you know, I like to talk a lot. Uh, Doc has graciously decided to do another extra inning segment since we, it took us like a month to get back into the swing of it. But Doc's come prepared again today. So, Doc, why don't you take it away? Thanks, man. So this is a particularly interesting segment because um, Boggy is, in addition to being a, a marvelous guest, is also a uh, very seasoned listener of the TPS podcast. And he kind of knows what's coming. But since we're we're uh, we're real life friends, um, I can kind of ask a couple of things that I can't ask like Craig Mish or Eno Saris or anybody else that, that we that we've had on here. So this is one that I've had on our list of questions to ask for a very long time. But I'm not sure who all knows who Mitch Hedberg is. So, uh, Boggy, I know you do. So what is your favorite Mitch Hedberg joke? Oh, um, can I can I say all of them? I mean. <laughs> There's too many, and he he's he's one of the tops. I mean, we could probably sit here and rattle off 15 or 20 Mitch Hedberg jokes right here on the podcast for the next hour, hour and a half, and start um, you know laughing our rear ends off. But um, you know, you know, my lucky number for it is four billion. Always comes <laughs> up. I'm a big fan of um, of uh, uh, ducks at Subway. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> those are the those are the ones that come to mind. You know, I have I have a page. There's a page booked bookmarked in my phone, in 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 in, in the internet browser of of just a page where it lists all of his jokes. And sometimes I'd like just like to go in there and read through them. Um, you know, it's it's just just for a good laugh. The guy was like completely off the wall and completely different. And we're, you know, the world is a less funny place. Uh, since Mitch Hedberg passed away, but uh, but uh, you know I, it's hard to even pick a favorite. It's like picking a favorite child. <laughs> Next question: Which of your kids do you like better? Um, no, I, 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 I agree with you. He actually died the same week as Pope, but I'm not Catholic, so I was I was much more affected by Mitch Hedberg's death. Um, Dylan, you might need to go back and cut that. That's horribly <laughs> offensive. Um, <laughs> but no, I I do like. Um, I, I have found that a duck's opinion of me is greatly influenced by whether or not I have bread. And uh, I wanted to buy a candle holder, but I couldn't find one, so I bought a cake. Is is one that always comes, <laughs> in, comes to mind for me. Um, Dylan, where where do you sit on on Mitch Hedberg? Are you a, are you a fan of his? Oh, big fan! My favorite Mitch Hedberg joke is not one from his stand up. It is actually he had a cameo role on that '70s show where he played the guy that owned the the uh, the diner. I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now because it's been a while. But uh, might have been might have been, uh, been Frank. Might have been his name. Uh, but there's a joke in there. I did not lose a leg in Vietnam so I could serve hot dogs to teenagers. You have both your legs, Frank. Like I said, I did not lose a leg in Vietnam. 
<laughs> that's probably so you got the delivery and everything. That's probably my absolute favorite one. I I've seen that episode like four hundred times, and I still die every time I hear it. <laughs> yeah, b- between uh, him and Tommy Chong having the recurring role, they really hit that kind of stoner archetype for for both of those guys. Uh, keeping keeping definitely in uh, in time with the show for sure. I like uh, how about uh, I had a paper route when I was a kid. I was a paper boy. I was supposed to go to two thousand houses or two dumpsters. <laughs> <laughs> I could just I could just read through these and we can just like uh, I'll, <laughs> we'd be here all night, man. It's hilarious. I, I still and he still stands up too. Like a lot of a lot of um, a lot of people kind of liken him to Stephen Wright had that same kind of super deadpan delivery. But uh, I don't know. I just I've I've always thought that he was he was um, one of the funniest stand up comedians that ever was. And he didn't have to like, you know, sometimes you get into stand up where it's like, look, I'll swear and I'll swear a bunch. But sometimes I'll see something. I'm just like, could you just could you go easy? You just dropped 44 F-bombs in the last two minutes, dude. And that's and that's or like Lisa Lampanelli, where it's like just super offensive comedy. He did. He didn't have to resort to to any of that stuff. It's not like uh, Eddie Murphy raw or delirious or something. He was the best. He was the best. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, if, if, if it weren't for the cursing, like the jokes are clean, like the, the jokes are good. Are, are jokes you can listen to with your kids once they're teenagers and they know all the words, <laughs> Right. <laughs> but like yeah. you can laugh about it because it's not, it's not crude and, and, and political or anything like that. It's just, it's just funny and the delivery and everything about it. So he, he was fantastic. And I love that question. <laughs> good, good, good. So this this next one is one that I had to give both of you guys kind of a heads up on because uh, sometimes when we'll, we'll ask like embarrassing childhood story or ask somebody to dig a little deeper on something that's not like easy recall, then we'll get kind of some dead time. So um, greatest song lyrics. Oh. Uh. I've been thinking about this all week since you gave me the heads up about it. Um, and you know, there's, there's like, there's like song lyrics that speak to everyone. And there's song lyrics that speak to you specifically or lyrics or songs that, um, that cause you to remember a certain thing or put you in a particular mood. Um, you know, music is essential to, to life. Okay. Like, you know, I would be more devastated if I were deaf than if I were blind. And so, so, and, uh, you know, I, I just started to try and go down, you know, the artists that I listen to all the time. I'm a big Eminem fan. Um, some people can take him or leave him. I love him for, uh, his skill and his talent, uh, and, and, and what he writes about for the most part, uh, more for more for the skill and the talent and the delivery um the puns and the wordplay uh from eminem is some of the most incredible stuff i've heard from any hip-hop artist um you know certain songs will will you know get me totally ramped up um song called uh by uh, rob bailey and the hustle standard the south the remix from the southpaw soundtrack to the song called beast um that were my walk-up song, you know, if, if I had a walk-up song, that would be it. And it's just, when I hear the first few bars, I'm just like ready to run through walls. Um, 
but as far as as pure 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 lyrics go <laughs> for me you guys are gonna laugh this was when they this is the one that came to mind and it's a song that's been out that came out in my uh my, my first year first my second year at georgia tech um it wasn't my sophomore year i transferred in long story that i'm not going to go into now um but it was me and a group of my my classmates we all hung out we all did our work together um we were all studying we're all mechanical engineers um you know doing homework from you know at the end of class at 4 p.m. until well after midnight just because that's the level of the homework that you have to do so this song comes out and and like <laughs> the whole song just kind of speaks to me and I, I i can't even really pick one specific lyric i've pretty much got the whole thing memorized it's weird owls white and nerdy oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> and you want to know why you want to know <laughs> this, uh, you know it <laughs> you guys are probably like oh my god that's the greatest oh, lead into a weird al song ever i played that song at my wedding because all those guys i was just talking about were my groomsmen in my wedding <laughs> oh my god i gotta commend you on on the lead up too i'm like oh my god what is it the, what song is this i'm so intrigued i was i was not i was not expecting weird al <laughs> you know, if, you know if, if i sat here and thought about it some more or 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 her you know i I'm probably going to hear a song on, on my commute tomorrow and I'm going to be like, damn, I should have said those lyrics last night. <laughs> you know, it's, it, I'm sure it's going to happen. And I'll probably text you and I'll be like, I should have said that. <laughs> and I like record it and, and just, you edit out all that white and nerdy crap and put that in in place. <laughs> no, dude, I'm, I'm the same here because I'm, I'm looking at something and every time, ever since I've, I've had, had this and said, all right, this is going to be one that we do this week. Every single song, I'm like, oh, that's great. What if I talk about that? Or, Ooh, what about this one over here? And I'm like looking up song lists for artists that I really like. I'm like, well, hold on. And I'm just, I'm parsing through everything I know. I'm, I'm saying I, I don't have any weird out for mine. I, I don't mean to let you down. Um, <laughs> hey, but a uh, couple of that immediately come to mind, you know, I can't have this talk without mentioning uh, fish. There is one song called fast enough for you with the lyric. I'd be happy just to watch you age. This is my shocked that. face. What's that? This is my shocked face and my shocked voice that doc picked a fish. <laughs> song. His, his, his deadpan face that shocked that, uh, that doc had a fish lyric. Right. It's a good lyric. I like that. I like that. That you see, and and there, and thank you. And there's a couple that uh, of theirs that I, but uh, that one is always that that one resonates pretty. I, I, I'm always I always like to to, to check your uh, your bio on Twitter because you're always like reading out some uh, some different ones in there. I really like them. I've I've always liked the one of yours on there. That's uh, this isn't who it is. If it if it uh, wasn't uh, whatever it might be. Uh, yeah, this isn't who it would be if it wasn't who it is. Also, yeah, that's it. That's the one. I don't want to blow your mind. Also, a fish yeah. lyric. <laughs> so that's that one's from from uh, Wolfman's brother by Fish. Um, I've always liked. Um, Once in a while, you get shown the light in the strangest of places if you look at it right. From Scarlet Begonia's Grateful Dead, um, Incubus, eleven a.m. Uh, the lyric is seven a.m. The garbage truck beeps as it backs up, and I start my day thinking about what I've thrown away. And uh, the last last one that I'll mention, and, and I, Dylan, I swear I'll, I'll finally let you talk. Um, Bob Dylan is the greatest lyricist of all time. Like, there's not even a question. Uh, so trying to pick out one of his was tough. But Shelter from the Storm, I bargained for salvation, and she gave me a lethal dose. That's like, 
I got goosebumps just saying that, dude. That's unbelievable. So the, the, those are mine. No Weird Al. Uh, even Ezekiel thinks that my mind is gone, uh, which you should you should probably recognize that one as well. Oh, Man, absolutely. So, you're right. <laughs> so we're the same age. I, I knew you'd pick up on that one. So. Amish Paradise. Right? That, that? That's Amish Paradise, right? Yes, yeah, there you, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I know my Weird Al. So what, what's your favorite Weird Al lyric? Uh, my favorite Weird Al? I don't know that I have an overall favorite, but the one that will stick in my head forever is the uh, the Star Wars version of American Pie. Mm-hmm. This is my, my, my this here Anakin so guy. My, my this here Anakin yeah. guy. Maybe Vader someday. Later. Yeah, like that'll right stick. Like that's gonna stick in my head for like four hours. Uh, as, <laughs> far as, <laughs> as far as as far as greatest song lyrics, "Black Honey" by Thrice. Uh, not a particular lyric, just the entire song and the message behind it. Awesome. Love, love me some Thrice. I, I listened to some Thrice with some time, not not that long ago. I dig them. Uh, they're you know they, they weren't on the uh, on the emo playlist. They were a no. little, They're a little little harder. No, they're they're well, beyond that. They're uh, they're they're a better version of Rise Against. Well, I'm gonna check them out too. So. Um, any anything to add, or it's just Black Honey is the one. You didn't That's have, it. You didn't cast. All right, all right, all right. Um, so, first celebrity crush. First celebrity crush. Yes. Um. Wow, that is. Hard. Oh, that's a tough one. That's uh, a tough one. And, and this probably this will probably. Uh, this will bring back up the argument that Josh started earlier this week. Oh, geez. Either Kelly Kabowski or uh, or uh, Topanga Lawrence. That's I think a good I had one. a bigger crush on Topanga Lawrence, but it wasn't. It wasn't like season one Topanga. It was. It was like season three or four Topanga, like. She started getting a little bit older. Like, like started I started, looking, yeah. I started like the crush started like with, like on middle school Topanga, and like <laughs> the crush got really really hard on high school Topanga. <laughs> no, no, I I, I think um, that's that's a that's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one actually. Um, <laughs> Dylan, who's your first celebrity crush? This is going to show my age. Um, Lindsay Lohan of the Parent Trap when I was a youngin. Ooh. When I was, uh, <laughs> no, um, I was probably she, seven or eight, maybe. I don't know. I can't. Even, lost, I can't lost her mind. Yeah, I can't even remember when that movie came out. Now, me neither. Yeah. I'm not gonna bother looking it up. I mean, I could. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm afraid I'd want. 1998. I was seven years old. Lindsay Lohan. You asked, man. It's first celebrity hey. crush, not the best celebrity crush, just the first no. one. I I ain't mad at you, dude. I I am not mad at you at all. You talk about showing your age, dude. <laughs> when I was four, I thought Elizabeth Shue from uh, fresh off her role in Karate Kid. Um, she was it, and then she was in Adventures of Babysitting, and she was uh, she took over the role of Jennifer Parker in Back to the Future too. I thought she was everywhere. <laughs> it's it's not still Elizabeth Shue, but but yeah, for for being a little kid, I could I could have done a lot worse. So was that your so, first celebrity crush? 
First celebrity crush was Elizabeth Shue. Yes, it was. <laughs> so, um, all right. So I'm actually I'm going to do do these back in reverse order because I can kind of piggyback off this last one. Um, you are given the opportunity to go back in time and have a conversation with any version of yourself. Which version of yourself do you choose, and what do you tell him? Any version of myself. Um, Yikes. <laughs> I think I think that I would go back to the sophomore in high school sophomore year in high school version of myself and try to convince him as much as music means to me and 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 the friendships I've made through the, the being in band uh, yeah I was a band geek okay to the surprise of no one on this call and probably none of your <laughs> listener. Um, I think despite that, I would go back and tell my sophomore year self and try to convince and, and convince him to not stay at my local high school for my junior and senior year, just because they had a marching band for me to participate in and to continue to participate in the orchestra and things like that. I would convince him to go to, um, the math and science school for the last two years in my high school, uh, like my sister did five years after I, I don't think I ever knew you were in marching band. What did you play? I was a percussionist and I was the ultimate band geek my junior and senior year. I was the drum major. (laughs) How did I never, how has that never come up? (laughs) I don't know, man. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked like every day for the last two years. I I figured that would have come up by now. No, that's that's a that's a really I, good. I one. figured that would have come up too. I'm surprised you didn't know that. Yeah, I had I had no <laughs> I can't idea. Believe you didn't know that. Yeah, well, Dylan, what do you tell young Dylan? I would probably go back to. It's hard. There's a there's a lot of things that I've screwed up in my time. Um, I would probably go back, probably to junior year, Dylan, junior year of high school maybe sophomore year. Uh, and it's sad that it has to do with sports, but I would tell, I would yell very angrily at myself to uh, actually tell a coach how hurt I was and to not play uh, and to actually force them, force a doctor to send me to uh, get something looked at. It caused a lot of problems later on. Things like my back, things like my arm and things like that. Just, just annoying stuff like that. Stuff that eats at you as you get older about what an idiot you are. There, there's a whole host of things outside of like, go here, do that. I don't know. There's there's a there's a lot of instances like instances where I was stupid, just one off instances. I don't know that I would change most of them, other than how stupid I was with my own body. That's that's fair, and this is coming from your twenty seven twenty. Yeah, I'll be twenty eight in March. <laughs> just wait, <laughs> just wait. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> no, I, I know that that uh, that when you were playing, you put yourself through the ringer. So that that actually that doesn't doesn't surprise me that that would be that that would be your uh, response for that. You would you would go back in time and you would tell yourself you are not Cal Ripken. Pretty much, you just out this game. No, I pretty much tell myself bring this whole conversation full circle to an hour and a half ago. <laughs> pretty much the the exact wordage I might use was, hey, you're not going to talk to any of these kids in three, four years. Stop trying to help them out and take a and go to the dadgum doctor. I'd use different words, but my mother would snatch me up by the ear. 
Well, um, I, you, you guys both went back to high school, and so I'm going to go back a little bit farther. I would go to age 12. Um, I'm pretty awkward at 36, so when I was 12, it was unfreaking believable. And I would, I would go to myself and say, one day, you'll never be cool, but you'll be cooler than you are now. <laughs> and that... <laughs> You know, and and I would say like, okay, you see this movie, The Mask, okay? You see, you see this blonde right here. Her name is Cameron Diaz, and when you grow up, you're going to marry a woman that looks like Cameron Diaz. I told you, it will get better for you. It's going to take a minute, but it will get better. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure what 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 twelve year old you would believe less: the fact that he's talking to uh, you from the future, or the fact that you from the future is telling you. That you're gonna marry Cameron Diaz from The Mask. That's that's probably true. And I would just look at myself and go, I get that much gray hair at 36. I that was I love that. Things aren't gonna be things aren't gonna be perfect, but they're gonna get better. Right, right. So, all right, man. So we got through got through uh, four of the questions, and now the one that I know that you have been waiting for, um, Boggy. You have to tell us an embarrassing childhood story. Oh, uh, well, see, from the first time I heard this question and listening to y'all's show, and I've never missed an episode. Um, I'm sure there's Thank a you. small handful of people out there who have never missed an episode. The first, for, the first time this came up, and I was like, I said to myself in the back of my head, I was like, I'm probably going to be on this show at some point. I should probably go ahead and start thinking about this. So I started thinking about it. Um, my embarrassing childhood story. I was at Boy Scout camp. This was a week away from home Boy Scout camp. I was, uh, honestly, I don't remember how old I was. I don't think I was a teenager quite yet. Um, I wasn't like a senior patrol leader or anything like that. Uh, so I was probably uh, uh, 12, 11, 11 or 12, something like that. Um, so like early in the week, I was going to this one batch class. And, uh, uh, you know, off in, the, off in the woods or up in some shelter. And uh, I probably wasn't paying attention. I was sitting in the back of the group. And they told us that the next day we were going to be meeting somewhere else. And I, like, completely missed it. So the next day I go up to, to where the class is normally supposed to be. There's nobody there. Um, except for, like, one other kid who was cutting up with me the day before, basically. And he didn't know that the class had been moved as well. So I'm like up here in the woods. I'm wondering what's going on. Okay. I just start wandering around. The the, the counselor never shows up. None of the other rest of the class never shows up. And I'm like, well, oh, what's going on? So all of a sudden I get this uh, you know, rumbling in my stomach going on. And uh, I'm like, man. And I know that, uh, you know, this is Boy Scout camp. Okay. So there's not like, there's like one working toilet on the entire facility. Okay. And it's at a dining hall, which is like halfway up the mountain from where I currently am standing. Um, and there's like one porta john which is kind of nearby to where I am, but it probably hasn't been emptied since the start of Boy Scout weekly camp, like six weeks prior. And uh, so I'm like, there's no way I'm going in there. I'm not going to make it up the hill. So I'm just kind of going to walk up this trail a little bit, you know, away from where the class is supposed to be. And, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to pop a squat. All right. So I go up there and do that. 
Well, the kid, the other kid in the class that missed it, he comes strolling along. Well, I'm pants to the ankles, popping a squat in the woods, and he sees me pointing and laughing, and I just like, I I turn beet red, okay, and just I start freaking out. All right, I pinch it off, I pull it up, you know, pull up my pants, and I just take off in the other direction, okay, and and but I'm not finished. <laughs> so I, I, start, I start I start trying to make my way back up to 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 my campsite, you know, where where all my stuff is because there's. You know, there's latrines up there. Then I'm like, okay, if I make it up there, I can do okay. There's no way I can go into this full portageon. I'm not going to make it to the dining hall because it's going up the steepest part of the mountain. I'll start making it this way. And I didn't make it. <laughs> oh. So, like, so I'm, it is, it is hot as all the Jesus in, in the middle of South Carolina summer. I am trying to make my way up this mountain with, pant full, with, with, with drawers full of poop. And 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 you know I'm like I'm like you know wide legged trying to make it down you know I'm bending over my shoulder trying to make sure you know I don't got a big brown streak down my down my pants or anything like that I'm like holding my backpack like down below my britches and I'm like I got like tears falling down my face because I'm like oh my god my mom's gonna kill me or somebody's gonna <laughs> see me and I finally get to and like like everybody's off at class so I get up to my campsite and I'm like. You know, wide-legged, coming up the stairs, like going rummaging through my stuff, smelling all like you know what. I find a new pair of pants, new pair of underwear. I head down to the train, drop my backpack, make sure nobody's around. I go in there, and you know, I pull off my pants, try not to get poop all over my legs uh, and everything else, and then just take my shorts and I just drop the SOBs right there in the latrine, big hole in the ground. There's my there's my poop-filled pants. Take my underwear off, drop them right down there into the into the hole in the wall. Wipe myself up. Um, I may have actually taken a shower at that point. Thinking back on it, I hope I did. Good can't call. Yeah. Part. I can't remember that part of the story, um, but uh, I think I hopped in the shower at that point, and uh, and uh, and that was the story that came to mind when I knew I was going to have to tell my most embarrassing story, and you know. Maybe it's. Uh, I'm, I'm hope that it's not just a generic. Oh, everybody's got to poop their pants story. I hope that I made it a little more of an adventure. But that's <laughs> the one that came to mind, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I hope the listeners enjoyed it. Story about how I basically climbed halfway up the mountain with a pants full of poop. Hey, you, every everybody does have a, a good poop the pants story, but not everybody's got to poop my pants at Boy Scout camp story. <laughs> so you're that's the first one of those. So thank you for. Uh, for being forthcoming with that, I, I mean, I know the point of this is for it for it to be awkward and embarrassing. <laughs> that that is an embarrassing story. I get it. I I, I totally get that. So uh, when the when the kid when when I when I was when I, when I was pants in the ankles, you know, popping a squat off the trail in the woods, <laughs> and the kid locked eyes with me, I felt like absolutely lost my mind. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> Well, when you when you started talking about like going to change and everything, like I thought that you found somewhere else in the woods, and he stumbled across you again, <laughs> like, like half a mile away or something. <laughs> so, but no, man, thank you for uh, thank you for playing extra innings with us, and uh, you know, it you're more than welcome to come back on anytime, and uh, or if you wind up getting like a, thinking of a different childhood story, we can just record like a tiny little satellite episode. Of, uh, of, t- of little embarrassing things that, that have happened to you. <laughs> Sounds good to me. 
that said, Boggy, thanks so much for coming on with us, man. It was a ton of fun. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I know we, we, we spoke for a while. I think it's the first time that you'll probably – you had such a quiet off season. You haven't had, like, a guest on that you could just shoot the breeze with for a while. And uh, um, I, I've enjoyed this. I, I like the over-unders. And I've been looking forward to extra innings ever since I, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, worked out the schedule for this with you guys. So uh, that was a lot of fun. I like being on this on the show with you guys, and I really like y'all's show. So Always Thanks. appreciate Thanks, it, man. man making me blush over here everybody else out there thank you guys so much i hope you stuck with us throughout the whole thing got to hear uh the fun little segments there at the end i uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode we will talk to you guys next week make sure you follow us on all the platforms you know them by this point drop us a review if you feel like it let us know what you really think everybody else out there have a good night we'll catch you guys next week right here on the platinum sombrero Thanks, bye.